Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. As we approach Thanksgiving, it's time to get out our BB guns and take aim at this year's biggest turkeys. I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. It's our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot. We'll name the most disappointing albums of the year, plus we'll review the latest from the rising hip-hop star, Drake. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. That's the Sex Pistols, of course, sneering at EMI, a record company which apparently we are no longer going to be able to mention since it has been sold. One of the biggest sales in record company history just completed with the EMI recorded music division being sold to Vivendi's Universal Music Group, as well as EMI's publishing division being sold to Sony. This deal just completed $4.1 billion dollars, one of the biggest sales in record company history, Jim. Just imagine, a little over a decade ago, we had six major labels. Now we're down to three, with Vivendi Universal at the very top of the heap, along with Sony and Warner Brothers. This has been an ongoing soap opera. The sale of EMI had been long rumored. It was finally consummated with Vivendi showing up as the buyer in the last week. It was thought that Warner was going to actually be the buyer of EMI. But Universal swept in at the last minute and made the sale, turning itself into the biggest record company in the world. It was already at the top of the heap, but absorbing EMI, Jim, is is making it an even bigger player on the world market. It now commands 38% of the U.S. market and over 50% in many European countries, which means that it may have some regulatory issues when it comes to approving this sale. That remains to be seen. But what we do know is this immense EMI catalog that includes the likes of the Beatles, Coldplay, Pink Floyd, the Beach Boys, Queen, Katy Perry. I mean, we're talking about some serious, serious artists that will now be owned by Universal Music Group. The publishing, too, let's not forget that aspect of it. That was an even bigger sale for Sony. So getting the publishing rights to these artists is a huge coup for Sony Music as well. Further consolidation of the music industry, a lot of people are saying, how is this going to be allowed to happen? And you've got all this power concentrated in one place. But a lot of people are saying this is the only way the music industry as we know it, the 20th century record business, is going to be able to survive into the 21st century. Six record companies a little over a decade ago, now down to a big three. 
You know, Greg, a funny way to think about this is if you were to buy a Beatles CD today under the new corporate regime, it would have to say Apple slash Capital slash EMI slash Universal slash Vivendi. And by that point, you're well out of CD jacket. It's a good thing everybody's listening to music online where nobody cares where it came from. We think we've got it Greg, big news in the world of selling online music. Google is finally in the game. Going to start its online music store. A lot of people say, hey, it's about eight years too late. Google, you ever hear what Apple's doing in the iTunes store? But better late than never, says Google. It's going to let users store songs online, this new Google service, listen to tracks on multiple devices, of course, buy music, and eventually share music through the social networking Google Plus site. Now, wait a minute, you say. Aren't we able to do a lot of that with a lot of other services now? Yeah, well, we can share music through Facebook. Of course, we can buy music through uh, the iTunes Store or Amazon. We can stream music and tell our friends what we're listening to or store music through Spotify and other services like that. What's Google going to bring to the game that's new? I don't know. It's going to be selling songs at about $0.99 to $1.29, priced competitively with Amazon and iTunes. Google says, yeah, we're getting into this late, but we are going to be able to capitalize on the way we control web searches. All the people who come to Google first when they're trying to do a web search, we hope they're also going to come to us first when they want to find or purchase or share music. They do have agreements with two of the now three major labels. We just talked about Universal Music Group. That's in place, and so is Sony. At the time of our recording today, a few hours before the big Google press conference, a deal was not yet in place with Warner, but many industry observers say that the Warner deal will come, that Google will now be the second or third biggest entity online selling music along with iTunes and Amazon. Well, can they challenge iTunes' domination of this market, Jim? We're talking about 80% of the legitimate digital music market controlled by iTunes right now. But Google does have those 1.1 billion visitors worldwide to its website. So that is a huge market as well. We'll see if they can tap into it for music sales. Listening to Sound Opinions, I'm Greg Cott with Jim Durigatis, and each year Jim and I like to look back at the year that was, or is about to end, 
and look at the turkeys of the year. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. It seems appropriate to put these suckers out of their misery. What do we mean by a turkey? It's not just a bad album. It's an album for which we had high hopes and were terribly disappointed in. Now, there's a couple of real obvious candidates here that we're not going to mention because I think we kind of belabored it, Jim, don't you think? The turkey season has been in prime (laughs) run for the last couple of weeks. We reviewed that Lou Reed Metallica collaboration, Lulu. We reviewed Milo Xyloto by Coldplay, both very bad records. But we're going to reach back to earlier in the year. Greg, you know, I'd like to put something out there that, that just to correct a perception in some listeners' heads, possibly. I think listeners think critics like to disrespect an album. They like Mm. to give a bad review. This is not true. I don't care what it is, whether I'm going to listen to Justin Bieber or the new Flaming Lips. I would like every album I'm about to give 45 minutes of my life to to be great, to be the best thing I've ever heard. And when it's not, especially when it's from an artist who I expect great things from. Right. Flaming Lips, not Bieber, right? I'm especially let down. This is where the turkey concept comes from. It, it, It pains us. We would like to cry that these albums are so bad. Well, this is exactly the point, Jim, and that that is why I am naming Bjork's Biophilia as one of my turkeys of the year. I have loved almost everything this Icelandic singer has done up till now, but this particular record is a huge disappointment. This is the one where she transforms herself into a science teacher. It seems this concept, this multimedia project that she came up with, custom-made applications for her cell phones all these multimedia elements to it. She's even going to have seminars, I guess, teaching seminars in some of the towns that she's visiting when she tours behind this album over the next couple of years. All of that seems to have trumped the actual music. The music itself is is a collage of electronic elements, classical music. You've got these choirs, some gothic organs, some drum and bass from the 90s, all mixed together, and her voice floating over the top. I don't see a real connection between what she's singing about, she's singing about all these scientific concepts, gravitational pull, the moon's effect on the tides, the interval between a lightning strike and a thunderclap. I mean, we talked about this when we reviewed it. All very fascinating. I'm glad she's writing about this arcane subject matter in the context of a pop song, but she's not really turning it into a song, something that I'd want to listen to more than once. It's a complete failure. It's a gimmick. These custom-made instruments that seem to be dominating this record at the expense of actual music being made. Okay, so you've created something that is a combination of a gamelan and a celesta. You've turned a group of pendulums keying to the sound of a harp. You're using a Tesla coil. Big deal. Make some great music. Bjork let me down big time with Biophilia.
That was a little bit of Thunderbolt from uh, Bjork's Biophilia album. We're not going to play a lot of these songs because they are turkeys after all. They're bad. But we want to give you a little sampling of why we feel these albums have disappointed us so greatly. So, Jim, what's your uh, first turkey of the year? Well, it's hard to top Bjork, but I'm going to try. This is an album that is so bad, it's it's so instantly forgettable that I forgot it even came out this year <laughs> or that we even talked about it. I'm talking about Angles from The Strokes, the long-awaited fourth studio album from a band that, you know, the hype had them when they debuted early in the new millennium as the latest saviors of rock. This was the new Nirvana. These are guys who are making guitar, bass, and drums sound wonderful again. And you know what? Those first two albums, they certainly did. The third album began to lose the plot, but not entirely, and then they disappeared for five years. Where were they? What were they doing? Everybody's messing around with solo projects. Julian Casablancas made a truly horrendous solo album, and yet those of us who loved those first two albums, really loved them, thought there's still hope. When the band comes back together, maybe it's going to do great things. It did not do great things with Angles. Why a band like The Strokes would decide, instead of imitating the Velvet Underground and updating that for a new century, we're going to start imitating the Cars? I don't know. All due respect to the Cars. I love the Cars. I know you do, too. But why do you want The Strokes to be the Cars? Why all of a sudden are these burbling digital synthesizers in The Strokes mix? Why, when you have one of the best drummers in rock and roll over the last 10 or 15 years— also one of the best names, Fabrizio Moretti. You start using a drum machine. This is horrible. He played with a machine-like precision but was very human, and now you've got this horrible drum machine rhythm. you got those synthesizers. Worst of all, you don't have songs. You could make fun of Julian Casablancas for not having a lot to say lyrically or having a monotone Lou Reed kind of vocal presence. They wrote great hooks. Those first two albums are lousy with them, and there's none. There, there is not a hook to remember. It's hard to even remember Angles came out in 2011, and yet it did. Here is a typically disappointing song called Metabolism from The Strokes on Sound Opinions. That was my first turkey of the 2011 turkey shoot on Sound Opinions, the Strokes Angles album. Greg, you got another bird for us? I do, Jim, and it's painful to shoot this one as well. These are all painful, let's face it. These are heroes of mine who are making these records that disappointed me this year. The next one is by Steve Earle. Oh. Uh, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive is the name of the record. I mean, Steve has done some amazing work over the years, and I had high hopes for this one as well. 
This particular album shares a title with a historical novel that he wrote and was published earlier this year, and it's also the last single that Hank Williams wrote in his very brief lifetime. So I'm thinking, okay, this could be kind of cool. Um, it's kind of a, an art project. Steve is back in the mode where he's uh, channeling early Hank Williams. That's cool. He does write these songs in sort of period piece type of style. Uh, he's not attempting to make a particularly contemporary-sounding album. I get that. He was working with T-Bone Burnett. I had high hopes that maybe he could make this kind of raw acoustic record. Instead, I'm getting these kind of like little dabs of a a hoedown song. You've got the troubadours jamming around the maypole in another song. You've got the saloon sing-along. Then on top of that, you've got these really cliched lyrics. When you see a song title like Lonely Are the Free, you're going, Steve, (laughs) come on. I know you can do better than that. You are one of the great lyricists of the last 20 30 years. You can come up with a better title than that. You can come up with better lyrics surrounding a title than that. And he wasn't up to it this time. Maybe working on that novel distracted Steve. Maybe that was the main reason to get this out. The album is just sort of meant as an accompaniment to the novel. And on the next one, it'll have his full attention. But for whatever reason, you know, I'm thinking of Steve Earle as that feisty dust kicker, that guy who's going to kick you in the teeth and tell you some truth. But I got to say, he let me down with I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive. Here's one of those hoedown songs I was telling you about. You know, I, let's, let's get out a few hay bales and listen to Little Emperor from Steve Earle. Hello, Emperor, come down from your throne. Our glass is empty, your time has come and gone. The battle must have crumbled and the walls are tumbling down. The counselors and concubines are getting out of town. Some say it's a moment, some say it's a wind. Steve Earle with Little Emperor from I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive, one of my turkeys of the year. Coming up, we're going to continue taking out this year's biggest musical turkeys, and we'll hand the rifle over to you. Plus, from the bad to the good, I take a track I can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Deergottis. My partner is Greg Cott. And in honor of Thanksgiving, this is the annual Turkey Shoot episode where we are looking at some of the records that disappointed us the most in 2011. Not just bad records, but records we expected to be good and that really let us down. As always on Sound Opinions, we like to let our listeners get in on the action. Everybody's a critic, and it's time to give them the gun to see if they can shoot some birds down. Let's turn to Chris from Kansas City on the Missouri side, right? Yeah. Welcome to Sound Opinions, Chris. Uh, Thanks. Have you got a turkey for us? Oh, I absolutely do, unfortunately. Destroyer's kaput. Destroyer is the side project of Dan Behar, who many people probably know as a member of the New Pornographers. Why were you expecting a lot from this record, and why were you disappointed? Um, I really like Behar's stuff with Destroyer. I, I thought the stuff he's done, that's the kind of neo-glam revival thing on Street Hawk, and uh, This Night was really, really good. And it's, it's been just kind of a, a different take on that genre. Well, let's take a listen to this new one from Destroyer called Kaput. A savage night at the opera, another savage night at the club. Let's face it, old souls like us have been born to die. It's not a war till someone loses an eye. Behar's always done these kind of left-field moves, Chris, right? Here was one where he kind of investigated, it sounds like 80s pop. Yeah, yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah. (laughs) And you don't want to hear 80s MTV era pop anymore, I take it. I didn't want to hear it when it was there to begin with. (laughs) It's kind of like that was the style of music that was out of style when it was happening. (laughs) Wow, no love for Flock of Seagulls or nothing, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a mix of just kind of the sleaze of the drum machine with that kind of year of the cat vocal that he's got going on with it. It's just, I don't know, it's it's kind of tear-inducing to have to hear. Now, there are some people who say this is done very tongue-in-cheek. There's a level of irony to it. I take it you're not buying that either. No, I think even if there is a level of irony, it kind of feels like it's put off onto the listener, like the joke's on me for having to sit through it for over an hour. (laughs) You know, they should change the cliche to friends don't let friends make kaput. Someone should have stopped them at some point. I'm with you. I I didn't like this album. I forget. Where did you come in? I liked it. I actually thought, you know, the melodies were kind of one of his stronger efforts in, in recent years. So I was smitten with it, but I have to say yeah. that I, 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 I didn't was... actually forget Chris. I just wanted him to say that again after hearing that. <laughs> I, right? What is wrong with this? Why am I with this guy? Huh? You know, but you know, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. There was a group that I really liked from Scotland in, in the 80s called the Blue Nile, and that's kind of what it reminded me of, that sort of sound, that sort of easy, admittedly easy listening, but I thought he did it with uh, with fine style. But obviously you you weren't buying that, Chris, so I, re- I respect that. Chris and I each got a drumstick. We're calling this a turkey, and we're calling you roasted. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Next, let's talk to Jerome from Toronto. Jerome, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hey, Jim and Greg. So, uh, Turkeys of the Year, Jerome, what's your biggest musical disappointment? 
My biggest musical disappointment would have to be I'm With You by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, it's a good choice. <laughs> Were you seriously expecting greatness from the Red Hot Chili Peppers at this point in their career, Jerome? Honestly, no, but being a longtime fan, I was hoping they would put out something great. And yeah, ho- hope dies hard sometimes. When you, when, you know, when you came up with a band, you loved them for 10 or 15 years, you still want to believe they can do it. That's true. So what in particular disappointed you? It's been a number of years between albums for these guys. It uh, has been. It's been about five years, I think. The lyrics were just really dull, and it sounded like it could have been put out by anybody, really. You got yours and I got mine She got his and she got shine Under moon and overseas She got those and we got these Dance, 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 dance On our long, yes, on our long Dance, 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 dance We got strong and we got strong glad to hear you mention the uh, disappointing quality of the lyrics, Jerome, because when I said that in my review, I got a lot of flack from a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers fans saying, we never cared about the lyrics, but that did matter to you in the past. Definitely. I mean, you can definitely tell the quality has gone down. And you're not buying into the Caribbean vibe on that uh, song either, huh? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're sorry to put you through that pain, Jerome, but thank you for sharing your turkey with us. Not a problem. All right, our final guest turkey hunter is Annalise from Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Annalise, you're on Sound Opinions. Hi. All right, so tell us what album you want to take out. I have to say I was really disappointed by Beyonce's Four. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I I'd usually use her music to work out to. I really liked Sasha Fierce, you know, Single Ladies, Halo. I had been using those on my workout mix for like a year. <laughs> yeah, there was a real exuberance to her music prior to this latest record. Yeah, and like Single Ladies, I know we heard it a million, million times. It was coming out of every speaker of every store, but I never got sick of it. Yeah, I, I'll admit that's a guilty pleasure. I love that tune. I was expecting more of the same or even greater things from this album because I heard she was she was talking about Fela Kuti, who I love, but no such luck. She kept saying, I'm going to stretch the envelope, I'm going to reinvent yeah. dance pop, I'm going to experiment, but instead we got this. Let's hear a little bit of Beyonce. What goes around comes back around Hey, my baby What goes around
Annalise, I think she's still enthralled to Etta James doing that uh, Etta James role in Cadillac Records. I think she wants, you know, okay, this is going to be my ballad record. She didn't tell us that ahead of time. I thought it was going to be more experimental, but she ended up singing these kind of snoozy ballads. I, I mean, I didn't even need experimental. I just wanted more of the same, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'd seen her in the telephone video with Lady Gaga. I thought she was the best thing in that song. Just more hits, really up-tempo would have been fine. But on that last song, it, it's actually like the lyrics that get me. Well, what is she talking about in Best Thing I Never Had? Well, she's got she's got lines like, oh, yeah, I bet it sucks to be you right now. Like, it's <laughs> basically putting down someone who kicked her to the curb. And that's something I don't expect to hear from Beyonce. She has more dignity than that. I think that's probably a well-deserved turkey, Annalise, especially coming from a true fan like yourself. It sounds like you're gravely disappointed by yeah, this I new just, direction. I mean, my workout mix, nothing to add to that. Nothing I even want to hear ever again. Annalise, that was great. Couldn't agree with you more. Thanks so much for being on the show. All right, Greg, we're going back to our picks for the Turkey Shoot 2011. I was not the biggest fan of Boney Bear's debut album for Emma forever ago back in 2008, but I did respect it. Guy goes up to a little cabin in the woods. His heart has been broken. He picks up his guitar, and he sings about it and finds catharsis. A lot of great art has come from that place, and we've had a really good, rich period of kind of indie beautiful folk rock lately. You know, Fleet Foxes, Iron and Wine, Midlake, Band of Horses. I love all that stuff. So I was expecting better from Bon Iver from the self-titled album that he gave us this year, especially after a lot of blogs started saying this is a masterpiece. And that was a word they were using. This is a masterpiece. Wow. It most certainly isn't. I don't think the comparison really is to Neil Young or Van Morrison or Nick Drake or any of the artists that people were comparing Boney Bear to. I actually compared it on this show and on my blog to Mike and the Mechanics, that horrible Mike Rutherford Genesis offshoot. Because this is at its heart folk rock, but it's tarted up with all these ridiculous synthesizer textures. So overproduced, so over the top, so amplifying of the smarmy sentimentality, not the real kind of heartbreak on that last album. I don't know what people were hearing when they said they liked this, and I know they weren't listening to the lyrics, because the lyrics are absolutely idiotic. I don't know what he's going on about. The whole thing just leaves me in a befuddled stupor. (laughs) If you doubt it, all you have to do is listen to this representative track. It is called, pretentiously, Beth Vertigule, or backslash, Rest. Here's Bon Iver on Sound Opinions.
was Boney Vare with uh, Beth Rest, one of Jim DeRogatis' turkeys of the year. I wasn't quite as harsh as you were on it, Jim, although I will have to agree with you on one thing. I did find those mush-mouthed kind of semi-poetic lyrics really annoying. What I loved about the first record was the directness of it. And on this one, I didn't really think he had a whole lot to say. Can I do a dramatic reading? (laughs) Sure. Christmas night, it clutched the light, the hallow bright, above my brother, I entangled spines. (laughs) (laughs) What? I I think that kind of sums it up. And then you combine it with those mushy Peter Satira slash Chicago keyboards. Good one. That's even almost better than Mike Mechanics. Goes, Goes over the top a little bit. All right, I'm going to finish off my list with a combination platter here. Jay-Z and Kanye West getting together to make a record. Sounds like a match made in heaven, right? How can you go wrong? Watch the Throne was the name of the record. The hype leading up to it was just unbelievable. And I genuinely had high hopes for it. First of all, Kanye's individual efforts have been in my top 10 or top 20 every year that he has put out an album. I even liked 808s and Heartbreak. Jay-Z can be more up and down, but I thought... Collaborating once again with Kanye, who produced some of his best work on the Blueprint record back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I thought he had a chance to get back at the top of his game. Instead, we get the most tone-deaf record of 2011. I mean, Jim, think about this year in history. What are we going to remember about 2011? Revolutions in Libya, Tunisia, Egypt, the streets of America with the Occupy Wall Street protests. A tenth of the country is unemployed. And here are these two guys going toe-to-toe, comparing notes about the size of their bank accounts. Yeah. I was so disappointed. I thought if there are any leaders to be had in our musical community in America, it's these two guys. What are they going to come up with? I don't say they necessarily have to make a record addressing politics or society. But if you're going to address those issues, let's take it head on. Let's not make songs that say, hey, check out my private jet. Check out my expensive watch. It's really despicable. I think the entire record is kind of focused on this sort of material wealth that really has nothing to do with the way the majority of people in in our country are living. track I'm going to play, Liftoff, brings in a third party to this equation. Beyonce. We've already talked a little bit about Beyonce's solo record. Not so good. Had a good year for her. Here she's singing the hook, and it really gets me, Jim. Take it to the moon. Take it to the stars. How many people you know get this far? And I'm reading into that, not just, oh, it's our love affair climbing to the stars. It's about the entitlement here that is just reeking on this record. I think it is one of the turkeys of the year. Jay-Z and Kanye West with Watch the Throne. Here's a little bit of liftoff. Taking my coat off, showing my tattoos, I'm such a show off. Huh. I feel the pain of letting roll off. I got the whole city, they about to go off. How many is it gonna be up and in the eye? How many people wanna roll on me now? Like you know Take it to the moon, take it to the stars. 
That's just a little sampling of one of my turkeys, Liftoff from Jay-Z and Kanye West, Watch the Throne. Jim, what's your uh, last turkey of the year? Well, Greg, for last, I have saved the album that let me down more than any other in 2011. It is Adele's second big release, 21. Now, I really, really, really liked Adele's debut, 19. I will even admit, I had a bit of a crush on Adele (laughs) Laurie Blue Adkins. When I interviewed her, she was so full of life and so vivacious. This was a girl who wasn't going to take crap from anybody. She had come out of this relationship. She was empowering herself. She was on top of the world and that voice. What an instrument. What happened, though, with 21? The voice is still there, but she yielded to the pop machine. She is working with the dreaded Rick Rubin, who is not in Johnny Cash, one microphone, a man in a room with a guitar mode. He's in the big overproduction mode that has ruined many bands, like Metallica. And also Ryan Tedder, who is the guy who brought us Beyonce and Kelly Clarkson. You would think that Adele had enough personality still to prevail on her own record despite that, but she's still in post-relationship I've been done wrong mode. There's a lot of weepy kind of, I feel so bad that my relationship fell apart stuff on this record. You know, Adele, in the two years between you being 19 and releasing 19 and turning 21 and releasing 21, you know, you've been on top of the world, all right? We know you have other stuff to say because when you talk to her, this woman has an opinion on everything and she's incredibly funny and yet she's still moaning over this guy who she left behind like the cracks in the sidewalk. I don't know. (laughs) Get over it, okay? Is this a horrible album? No. And I should note, it's the best-selling album of the year. People love this record. But I know what this artist is capable of, and it's a heck of a lot more than what she has given us on 21. Just listen to this and think about where it falls short. It's a song called Take It All on Sound Opinions. Maybe I should leave to help you see Nothing gets better than this And this is everything we You love me more than this But go on, go on and take it Take it Take it all with you Don't look Don't back At this crumbling fool Just take it all With my That is Adele with Take It All, our final turkey of this year's Turkey Shoot show. Now, you can get in on the action as well. If you have a vote for the biggest flop of 2011, you can call us at 888-859-1800. Greg and I will be back after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with what we hope is not another turkey. We're going to review the new album by the rapper Drake.
Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is superstar rapper Drake with the title track of his new album, Take Care, on Sound Opinions. Born Aubrey Drake Graham up in Toronto, Canada. He uh, will still be known forever, Greg, to many people as Jimmy Brooks on Degrassi, The Next Generation. Started out as a child star on television in that teen drama. Started releasing mixtapes in 2006, and the buzz was really building to the point where there was a giant, perhaps one of the last the music business will ever see, bidding war to sign him to a major label and finally get his debut album out there. Interestingly, when Thank Me Later finally came out, his first full-length major label debut, it was a cautionary tale about the price that fame can extract from us in today's society. It was one of the best-selling records of the year when it came out, won a bunch of awards. The hip-hop world was eager to see where he would go next. Now comes album number two. It's called Take Care. Let's play a track from it, and then we'll come back and give our opinions. This is Drake with Marvin's Room on Sound opinions cups of the rose just in my old phone i should call one and go home i've been in this club too long the woman that i would try is happy with a good guy but i've been drinking so much that i'ma call her anyway and say Anyway, and say, then, 
That is Marvin's Room from Drake. The new album is called uh, Take Care on Sound Opinions. Jim, you nailed it. I mean, he has established himself in the last couple of years as a major force in hip-hop with a different style. And I think on Take Care, he doesn't so much alter it as refine it. This is a slightly better version of what he did in 2010, as far as I'm concerned. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think the merger here of the the wispy crooning, the the plush keyboards, those light mechanical beats, the rapping with the singing, this has been a hugely influential sound. I mentioned Kanye West's 808s and Heartbreak earlier in the show. I think that's an album that sort of set off this little mini movement. We hear Kid Cudi doing it. We're hearing Bon Iver doing it. We're hearing that British dubstep artist James Blake doing versions of this. I think Drake does it best of all. Again, the trials of you know having too much wealth and fame that is an incredibly tired and unpromising subject for a rock or a rap album. But I think this guy's really singing more about what happens when your moral compass is shattered. What do you do then? We just played that track, Marvin's Room, and I love the fact that this seems to be sort of a lost in space kind of thing. They're obviously at a bar. He's drunk dialing his old girlfriend. I mean, there's this kind of sense of I'm completely disconnected from whatever made me the person I am, and I'm losing touch with that bass. Blurring the lines between rapping and singing, blurring the lines between is this a hip-hop record or an R&B record or what exactly is it, he's been getting a lot of stick from the hip-hop community that he's not hard enough. He's not not doing enough rapping on this record. He wears a lot of sweaters. (laughs) I think that's great. I think the fact that he's confusing people is actually a good thing because he has the courage to be himself. The other thing that I that I think is fascinating about this record is this take on women. There's a lot of strong women in this record. His mom, his former girlfriends, he's, he not only misses them, but he talks about them in terms of being strong characters, self-made people whom he admires, and in a way, much stronger people than he is. So the fact that he's making this lack of self-respect, this vulnerability, this doubt, the centerpiece of a so-called hip-hop album, I think he's a unique voice in, in hip-hop. This is not a complete success, but on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, I give this record a buy it. Well, Greg, I'm really surprised to hear you say that because I loved the last album, Thank Me Later. It was one of my favorite albums of last year. And I also think that 808s and Heartbreak is a masterpiece, that Kanye West, Dark Night of the Soul, melancholy album that clearly is Drake's model. However, I'm not so sure he's got the soul. Rolling Stone, in a great line, it's rare I quote Rolling Stone, but they called him a guy with a Jay-Z ego and a Charlie Brown soul. Hmm. I think what they meant is is he's always boasting, but he's then he's feeling guilty about boasting and whining about the things, the, the downsides of fame. The whining is the key thing. Two problems with this album, it stays in the same tempo. It is way too long. What is it, 17 tracks or something? Yeah. All the same tempo. It never picks up at all. Number two, the guy has nothing to say. I'm really shocked to hear you excoriate Jay-Z and Kanye on the throne for complaining about wealth when here is Drake giving us the account of of how much he paid in taxes last year (laughs) and complaining about that. And that's a recurring theme that comes up again and again and again. That first album, it gave you the sense that fame can really be scary and damaging. And here, you know, it just seems like it's inconvenient when you have to pay the gardener (laughs) that much. What a drag. I got to say, buy it, burn it, trash it. It's a trash it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were shipwrecked together. 
Here on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play you a song we can't live without. Greg, at least we'll know this one. At least I hope. Won't be a turkey. What have you got for your desert island jukebox pick for the week? Definitely not a turkey, Jim. I want to focus on the group Earth, Wind, and Fire, who does not get enough love as far as I'm concerned. They are kind of the lost uh, funk geniuses of the 70s. You know, people extol the harder edges of, you know, James Brown and, of course, George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic. Earth, Wind, and Fire kind of comes off, okay, wasn't that the band that Phil Collins sort of liked? Didn't he record some tracks with Philip Bailey, their lead singer? Yes, he did. Well, they dressed really well and had horns. But I got to tell you, Maurice White and his brother Verdine White, the co-founders of this group, were, were musical geniuses. And on the song I'm going to play, we are going to find the missing link between Pink Floyd's Saucer Full of Secrets and the Orbs 90s classic adventures Beyond Ultraworld. They all share something in common with the song that I'm going to play, and that is the kalimba, which is an African thumb piano. Maurice White put this at the center of a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire's music, and some of the coolest stuff that Earth, Wind, and Fire did wasn't the stuff that you heard on radio. You may know them from a few of those radio hits they had, but those albums were deep journeys into the heart of ancient Africa in a lot of ways. He was trying to taking this mystical voyage back to the ancestors and connecting African-American culture with its roots in the mother country. He did that specifically, you know, by coming out on stage in those dashikis and those robes and also putting the kalimba at the heart of a number of these tracks. It also had this kind of mystical psychedelic sound. Those album that, covers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just kind of, it gave them a little bit of a different vibe than every other funk band of that era. And I think this particular song illustrates it. In, in the song, he's talking about actually acquiring the kalimba and it unlocking the door to this new sound, this new way of thinking to Africa. But the sound of the instrument itself, I think, is the real thing. Kind of coming in among Maurice White's drums and Verdine White's bass playing and those magnificent earth, wind, and fire horns, it just gives it a whole different vibe. And there you can hear the Pink Floyd connection, the connection with the orb. I mean, these guys were psychedelic funk masters. So here's Earth, Wind, and Fire with Kalimba Song on Sound Opinions.
That was Kalimba Song from Earth, Wind, and Fire, Greg's Desert Island Jukebox pick. The Sound Opinion's Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark Bourbon, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are the Rock Doctors, and we're going to help our first Nobel Prize winner find some cool music. Greg, while we're giving thanks in honor of the holiday, we want to mention Tony Sarabia for helping us out all year, and of course the Sound Opinions production team, Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn, with the able assistance of Annie Minoff, and our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori, he ain't no turkey, Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, guys, this is Josh Vitello out of Seattle, Washington. You're asking for feedback on favorite Brian Eno songs. So the first one, and it was my introduction to Brian Eno, some friends and I, after a lot of talks, finally organized our inaugural music club session. The first song that comes on is Babies on Fire from Here Come the Warm Jack. Everybody in the room was completely blown away, especially Robert Fripp's guitar solos. Everyone kind of looked at each other and, and kind of recognized the brilliance of our idea to actually have this music club and been going strong ever since. From Another Green World, kind of along the theme of your Halloween episode, the one song I would say is uh, In Dark Trees, one of the scariest, scariest songs of all time. The perfect song for putting on when you're walking your dog late at night and you want to scare the crap out of yourself. Thanks, Ed. Bye. Hi, this is Jen from Chicago. Thank you so much for your interview with Brian Eno. That was awesome. Uh, you asked about favorite songs. I would submit Empty Frame from his collaboration with John Cale. Especially learning how much uh, doo-wop and early black music was influencing his work. I totally hear that in this song, but it has his unique modern spin on it. Thanks for a wonderful show. Bye. Hi, this is Andy. I live in DeKalb here, and I'm calling in response to the news story about Coldplay and Adele not letting their music play on Spotify. I think there's a, a bit of a hypocrisy you guys might have been worth mentioning, too, with the statement Coldplay's management put out, that they wanted listeners to hear the whole album in its entirety in one sitting. If they really wanted that, they probably wouldn't have sold it on iTunes. They would just sell it in a big one-trackless CD that no one could ever skip. It's just 50 minutes long. That'll show you.
Hey guys, it's Chris in Cincinnati. I would just like to comment on the Lou Reed Metallica collaboration. I, I thought it sounded pretty interesting. I really thought James Hetfield's voice, in a bizarre way, really kind of complimented Lou Reed. Uh, you know, certainly the days of the Velvet Underground are behind us, but this is definitely, I think, a great album. You know, you're sitting down in your basement drinking beer with a couple friends, you know, just throw it on. Enjoy the show. Uh, take care. Hi, my name is Leo Singer from Chicago, Illinois. I am seven years old, and my favorite songs are Bat and Old Bird by Elvis Costello and Eddie's song by Dodie Gray. I hope you'll talk about one of these songs on your show. Thank you. Have a nice day. Ciao. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.